0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the
1: Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Man, I'm so, i so hyped right now. Anything's possible.
0: Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, Anything's possible. I fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it like when Tatum play a Jalen on the breakaway. A Kyrie when he make a trade and nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth that after you play it, you got a repeat. So in depth they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth, you probably should pay him, but it's a freebie. Yeah, Coralis Packard, and J. King. Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring. And well wishes go to Gordy. listen after every game, is very important, Millie.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast with the Raina Jays. Today it's me, your boy Jay King from The Athletic, here with Sam, Jam, Packard, the great, formerly of W-E-E-I, We got some Celtics Sixers to talk about. We're going to break down game one a little bit more. We're going to look ahead to game two, some tweaks that might be made, some changes the coaches could go to, some trends that might break up in game two, like Aaron Baines potentially not hitting too Three-pointers like he did in Game 1? Well, do you think
2: uh, Terry Rozier is going to shoot 7 of 9 from uh, from deep? This classic 78% shooting from beyond the arc? I think that's a pretty sustainable moving forward. Or I don't know about the Baines threes, but Tito, Tito Three Sticks is definitely going to do that for, uh, for the rest of the series.
1: And so Tito in the Garden might. Tito in the Garden is a special force that, unlike anything the world has ever seen, Tito in the Garden shows up in Drew Bledsoe's jersey and then works you over. So, yeah, Terry, Terry Rozier will definitely – the crazy thing about Terry Rozier, though, and obviously I'm, I'm being facetious about him shooting 77% the rest of the series. The crazy thing was he he had three successful lobs in the same game.
2: <laughs> One after an extremely fancy dribble.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm still stunned by that. I don't know whether to be more stunned by that, or Baines's three pointers, or splash splashing a corner three, or Marcus Smart ripping a rebound away from Joel Embiid and going up for an end one There was a lot of there were a lot of unsustainable things from game one, but I also thought the Celtics like just really outplayed the seventy sixers on both sides of the court. So we'll we'll talk about some of the strengths that the Celtics showed I think one of the biggest things to me is like the 76ers their defense has been great all year they're third in defense overall they were second after the all-star break behind just the, the Utah Jazz they've gotten stops all year long and they're super long like huge 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 but what was interesting to me is the Celtics downsized and they went to Tito and Shane Larkin for more minutes together than they'd played in any other postseason game. And while those two guys were on the court, the Celtics scored 158 points per 100 possession. Woo! So, te- Jeez. <laughs> Which is just outrageous. And, like, I know the Sixers have length, and I know they'll defend a lot better than they did in Game 1. They were just, at times, lackadaisical. But I wonder if the Celtics' speed will be an issue for them because they don't play a point guard. Like Obviously, Ben Simmons plays point guard for them, and he can ha- really handle the ball. But he's not as shifty as a Terry Rozier, as a Shane Larkin. The other guys on their team, like Redick, Bellinelli, Covington can guard guard sometimes, but you really put a lot of stress on their defense the, the more smaller guys you have out there. So I'm interested to see whether the Celtics can continue to have that success with all the speed. It felt like their speed was a real issue for Philadelphia in game one.
2: Yeah, the Sixers' matchups against the Celtics defensively were kind of confusing to me. They started off with Covington, I think, on Rozier and, and J.J. Redick on Tatum, and um, and then as soon as Marco Bellinelli entered the game, it just felt like the Celtics did everything in their power to attack him. And I don't know what exactly the, the answer is for the Sixers, because you're right, they don't have a lot of guard depth. Um, I don't think T.J. McConnell is the answer. I was looking at lineups earlier today, and just all of their worst defensive lineups uh, pretty much include T.J. McConnell. So I don't know. Like, and he's the guy with a, who he might have more speed. I don't think the answer is false. He didn't even play. It doesn't seem like he's ready. So I don't know what the what the like other than just better effort and yeah, like, may, maybe better execution.
1: Maybe it's just play better. Maybe it's just the Celtics. Yeah,
2: I think that I think that's the key thing is just play better. Because they were left some a lot of wide open shots for the Celtics. Terry Rozier, like, it felt like it, half of his threes were were super open. But like what's the deal with Marco Bellinelli? It feels like the he as soon as he entered like stepped on the court, the the Celtics were just attacking him in switches, attacking the mismatch. And I just don't know what the what the Sixers do because he feels like, especially in that Heat series, him getting hot and him shooting um, three-pointers were, was important for the Sixers. They need those guys like Redick, like um, Bellinelli, like Ilya Sovia to make shots. But if they're not going to be playing top-notch defense, I just don't know what, like what they do. Jason Tatum got to the line um, more so than I can remember uh, any time in the playoffs or just like in recent uh, kind of the second half of the season and that's because he was just able to attack players like Bellinelli and players like Redick and so they have this problem where they don't have enough of the the quicker guys like you mentioned enough of the guards but then they have this kind of a size mismatch because they decide to put Covington on um, the point guard and then someone like Tatum gets a uh, gets smaller guys against them so I don't know what the exact adjustment is The the matchups really seem to be favoring the Celtics in the series but that's easy to say after a game one where the Celtics made an insane amount of threes and the 76ers just didn't really make that many.
1: Yeah, and I think one area to watch moving forward is the Sixers' offensive rebounding. Like, they're huge. And I do think the Celtics are going to try to play small at times. And until Jalen Brown gets back, they're going to have to play really small. He might be back by game two, who knows. But the the Sixers are just they are just really strong and really big. And they can, they can get rebounds in a way that Milwaukee just couldn't. Like Milwaukee is one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. The Philly is just totally totally opposite of that. Dario Saric beasted the Celtics a couple of times. Um, Embiid obviously is is just mammoth mammoth human. So they they have a lot of guys who who can get offensive rebounds and hurt you in that way. So I'm interested to see see what happens there. If the Celtics can hold up, especially when they move Al Horford to center. And as as far as like I I, I, I do want to see what happens when the sixers are locked in the one play that stands out stood out to me in game one was when there was an out of bounds violation and Marcus smart was just like ooh nobody's getting back on defense let me just run this up the court and draw a defender and then I'll pitch it to Terry Rozier who's wide open and that that was when you were like are they ready for this series are the 76ers still like in rest mode after six days off so it wasn't philadelphia's best effort they'll play a lot lot better uh but I, I am definitely interested to see what happens with the speed especially like with who they guard who they choose to put bellinelli on who they choose to put reddick on and, and who guards rosier like Rozier is faster i think than any defender they have and i know simmons is a really talented defender and i know covington is a really good defender but Covington had trouble staying in front of Rozier. And I don't know what, whether that will happen for all, all the games, uh, but it definitely happened in game one. And the Celtics, like, they hit a ton of shots, and they got shots from, from weird guys at times, like Baines. But they also manufactured some really good looks, and they were really successful at the rim and, and drawing free throws, especially Tatum. So they had a much, much more successful offensive night than I expected once I heard that Jalen Brown was definitely ruled out.
2: Let the Locked On NBA Network of Podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA Podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, the 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 shot making was kind of insane. I mean, just when you talk about Bane's. Baines took a – in the first half just took a three from the top of the key, which was awesome just because Embiid was pretty much in the restricted area and he was just forcing him to do something. But the shot-making from the Celtics, especially in the first half, I thought they did – they made some more difficult shots, some difficult mid-range Tatum. But you're right. They did a lot better at finishing around the rim and just getting to the line and attacking more. Um, I think it's key – and the matchup I was watching all night was um, Embiid and Horford and just kind of tracking – how the Celtics did when Embiid was off the court, how the Celtics did when Horford was off the court. But Horford's ability to make threes and draw Embiid out um, made it so the the Celtics had a much easier time of attacking the rim and getting to the line. And Embiid just really wants to be that rim protector. But Horford's ability to kind of pick and pop, we saw there was one backbreaker where Embiid really was going after the, the um, ball handler and just left Horford wide open. Uh, it's going to be interesting to track those because... I think the Celtics can can punish the the ers by going small uh, and kind of drawing Embiid out and then attacking the rim. It's going to be uh, huge uh, the moments when Horford's um, not in the gate and Embiid is in the game and it's Embiid versus Baines. I think the Seventy Sixers had a clear advantage there. You saw in the third quarter Embiid doing a just basically dominating for a stretch, but. Uh, someone other than Embiid is going to have to score points for the 76ers because it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be Ben Simmons because he refuses to shoot the ball and the Celtics are doing a damn good job of building a wall against him. Um, it's going to have to be other players to step up and make shots. You would assume it would be J.J. Redick, uh, but they can't get zeros from Covington. And I think the, really the X factor I expect to have a better game in game two and moving forward is Saric. I think he's, he's the type of guy who can play inside and outside. He can knock down threes. And you mentioned his offensive rebounding capabilities. Uh, I think he, they're going to want to get him going more and get, have him be more aggressive because uh, other than Embiid, they're going to need shot making from the outside. And I don't know who the guy is going to be to step up because I don't think it's Bellinelli. I just don't think they can play him and keep him on the court. So it has to be someone who's still pretty stout defensively. Um, and I have more belief in Saric being a kind of a quality player than I do Covington. It was funny watching, like, uh, I think I saw just 76ers Twitter kind of blow up every time Covington missed a shot. And they're like, this is the most predictable, Robbie, Covington playoff game in the history of time.
1: Yeah, but, he, I mean, Covington's good. So I think he'll play a lot. He's not
2: great. He's not great. He's a very good defender, but he's like a very streaky shooter.
1: And he struggled defensively against the Celtics in Game One. That that was something that was surprising to me. Um, one thing that stood out, stood out to me when I watched the tape, Embiid was he closed out short a lot. And I, I know the play you were talking about where Larkin drew uh, like kind of a double team on a pick and roll, and Horford was pretty wide open. But there were other times when Embiid just kind of closed out short. Once on Terry Rozier, another time on Horford. And I don't think he can afford to do that against those guys. So it'll be interesting to see how he guards the arc the rest of the series. Because obviously the Celtics will go small at times and they'll force him to guard the arc. And I, I, I obviously he's a really, really good defender. He's a really talented defender. But I, I think it'll be interesting the the cat and mouse game as they try to draw him out there. And, and, and find opportunities against him out there. Um,
2: do you think Embiid's uh, in shape? It felt like uh, kind of towards the end of each of his, I guess, shifts, he looked kind of tired. He had some careless turnovers. Um, And you talk about not closing out his heart. This is like a guy who's never played this many minutes in a series. Like this is the most he's ever done. Uh He's always been on minutes restrictions. He's a big lumbering guy. We know like how much effort he puts in. Imagine just having to bully Aaron Baines in the post. That's got to be pretty tiring. Um It felt like he was kind of – uh Especially later in the game, not as uh, playing with as much energy, and then Ben Simmons, I think, played 42 minutes and didn't really get a rest uh, in the second half whatsoever. I thought he was a little bit tired and lack of days go to the end and, and frustrated. Um, and I just, I was kind of taken aback by the, the the Sixers' lack of depth because after Ilyasova and Bellinelli, they don't have that many guys that you can really turn to. The big dog, uh, I'm a huge fan, but he has a Terrible five minutes, and so the I mean, the Sixers are really going to rely on these guys, uh, especially Simmons and Embiid, to kind of carry them. But I don't know if it was the it was the so much days off, and then just like they just weren't like back in in playing shape, or weren't like ready for the speed of playoff basketball. But I wasn't. I just didn't think they looked great uh, in any stretch of the game. Even when Embiid was dominant, he's kind of petered out there. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just over analyzing a one game sample size, but. What did you think of, like, Embiid's, I guess, I don't want to say effort, but his um, stamina, his endurance, both him and Simmons?
1: Yeah, I don't know about the stamina. Uh, obviously, they, they broke down a little bit toward the end and and kind of let go of the rope, I think, a little bit. Once the Celtics—the Celtics had every answer down the stretch. There were a few times the Sixers could it to 6, to 8, to 10, and and felt like they might challenge. But the Celtics always had an answer. Uh, I don't know I don't know about the stamina thing but there's a lot on Embiid's plate and the way the Celtics are guarding him he's he's just got to do it all himself like they're not going to send double teams that's that seems pretty clear like he got cooking for a little while and the Celtics were still like all right like you you can cook if you're gonna cook but we're gonna try to guard the arc and we're gonna try to limit everybody else and and that's kind of how we have to play. I thought one of the most important stats, and I know the 76ers will shoot a lot better. They they won't hit just five threes in a lot of games in this series. One of the most important numbers to me was 26, which was the three-point attempts that the 76ers had. That that was one of their lowest numbers since since getting Bellinelli and since getting Ilyasova. They've been up near the lead in three-point attempts. And so the Celtics did a great job of limiting those opportunities. And I, I know the 76ers still missed a lot of pretty open looks, um, but it, it, it felt like the Celtics were really dialed in in that sense. And in transition especially, like the Sixers have been killing people in transition. The Celtics were money in transition. They actually got the better of the transition matchup, which was pretty pretty st- stunning to me. Um, given how the 76ers have played lately. I, I think also the 76ers, like, I feel like they were feeling themselves. Like, they'd won 20 to 21 games. I think they looked around and they were like, okay, the Celtics have all these injuries. The Cavs, like, they only have LeBron. The Raptors are the Raptors. And they were kind of like –
2: Vegas is all on their on their back favoring them to win a series in which they don't have home court. They're definitely feeling themselves. They had Meek Mill ringing the bell. They were riding high.
1: Yeah, and so I I think I think that was a wake up call for them. It, it felt like like ooh these these guys are gonna play more defense than the Heat did, and they're gonna they've got more size, and probably even without Jalen Brown and Kyrie Irving and and uh, Gordon Hayward. <laughs> Jesus, I, I'm I'm a little tired. I'm a little tired. Even without all those guys, they still have some really talented creators like Jason Tatum. The last few games. It seems like he's starting to to like realize his powers a little bit, and just kind of be like, "Ooh, look at all the things I could do!" <laughs> like, like
2: I can attack off the dribble anytime I want.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like he's been really hunting out mismatches and and trying to do all those things lately. He's he's made himself very very tough to guard. Like he's always been tough to guard, but he's just putting more and more stress on defenses it feels like and Terry Rozier obviously like seven threes all that but to me it, he's getting into the lane he's he's making plays for the Celtics the Celtics need that so desperately right now and they're kind of relying on on Rozier and Tatum a lot and Horford obviously is is huge Horford the last couple of games like ah, he's insane yeah he's flexing on people Al Horford is flexing he's- on people
2: it's his go-to move now and it's so like playoff Warford's awesome but he was uh talking about like efficiency and exactly when the Celtics needed it like they he came in uh after sitting on the bench for a while in the second quarter and had, had a great run and then had a, a stop or a great kind of 5 run himself in the in the fourth quarter he's been fantastic and so I don't know like I don't know if if having Al Horford score 30 points or, or Al Horford, Rozier and Tatum score 30 points is going to happen in game two. But I'm kind of confused and about what exactly the, the Sixers adjustments will be moving forward. Other than just like more effort on the defensive end.
1: Yeah. I, I Joel Embiid kind of just blurted out that he thinks they're going to switch everything moving into the future. Um, I don't know if that's a play because
2: like doesn't that just mean Terry Rozier's dribbling past Joel Embiid and then or you have like I just don't know if that's and then if they switch everything they still have the problem of um you have Marco Bellinelli on uh Jason Tatum or you have JJ Redick on Jason Tatum like they were switching everything other than like pick and rolls that involved Embiid I don't know if that exactly is the the problem solver there
1: yeah we'll we'll, we'll see how that goes if they try it um they definitely did struggle to defend Al Horford pick-and-pops, and, pops, and they, they, gave, they gave him a lot of separation, obviously. And they, there was another pick-and-roll, like the Larkin and Horford pick-and-roll, where Horford ended up wide open. And there were a couple times Horford got caught lobs. So they had a lot of trouble defending that. So maybe switching is a better answer. Maybe maybe they'll just have to make guys make great individual plays. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what, what they do moving forward with that. Uh, I'm also interested to see how the, the Marcus Smart game within a game goes because the 76ers are daring him to shoot as much as I've seen anybody dare him to shoot. And everybody dares him to shoot, but the 76ers are going like so far out of their way to be like, please, 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 Marcus, like take that one.
2: Yeah, and he's doing it because he's Marcus Smart, and he can't dare him to do anything. You never <laughs> Marcus Smart. Every single game of Truth or Dare has chosen Dare, and anytime he's always like done it. And I think that that's just a case of like Brad Stevens coaching. I think Marcus Smart is going to take some of those threes. What was he two for eight in the game from three? Um, and I think Brad has to tell Marcus, "Hey, let's uh, let's try to work for a better shot." But I think Marcus has to keep shooting just to keep them a little bit honest I mean really you see well on the other end of the court Ben Simmons just like refusal to shoot I think it makes it so much easier for the Celtics um, to play defense they can help off of uh, Ben Simmons like they can build that wall and just kind of stand in at the free throw line and he's not going to do anything and I think Ben Simmons would be so much more dangerous I don't care what percentage he shot if he just occasionally pulled up from three like his unwillingness to even attempt a three just makes the game so much easier. So I think like daring Marcus Smart to shoot is, I think in the long run, a, a better strategy for the Sixers. But at some, he's going to shoot them and he's going to make uh, them occasionally. I just think it's 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 not going to be the be all end all of the like it's it's not going to be the end of the the Celtics offense if Marcus Smart chucks a couple threes. That's what Marcus Smart does for his entire career. He's been chucking threes. I think the Celtics can kind of find the workaround but the fact that he's as willing to shoot i think just like it changes people how you guard him and kind of opens up space for him more when he does decide to attack so i don't know i don't think it's like the the biggest deal in the world i would i'm all for if someone's giving you that shot you're an nba player you really should be taking it yeah so you it with confidence and that's what marcus smart does because he does everything confidently
1: <laughs> he does do things confidently i thought he had a really bad first half he, uh, oh, he
2: was trash. He was garbage. A lot of dumb turnovers for Marcus Smart. Dumb Forcing turnovers passes where they shouldn't should never have been thrown.
1: Forced passes. He fouled Reddick on a three. Like he had some rough, rough mistakes in the first half, and then totally redeemed himself by by big boy Joel Embiid for that rebound and one. <laughs> Classic Marcus Smart. Just just an absurd play. How many guards in the league could make that play? Just just very very entertaining classic Marcus Smart so I I thought I was I was being like "Ooh, sneaky reporter let's let's ask Marcus Smart after the scrum if he talked to Bill Russell and he was like yeah I didn't even know he was there I was so focused <laughs> I was so focused on the game <laughs> I was like oh okay and he's like that's a legend though I wish I'd seen him I wish I'd known he was there but Classic Marcus Smart, like, had no clue that Bill Russell was there because he was just, just too focused on the game, just just blacked out in his competitive competitive zest.
2: That's what happens to Marcus Smart. Is he has never remembers what happens in the game because he is just filled with rage. Yeah, uh, I thought another good anecdote from Jay King of the Athletic. Uh, tell tell the folks about Yabu's outfit post game.
1: <laughs> I mean, he was he was looking very dapper. He had on the uh, the turtleneck underneath the. Uh, a nice little, a dark blazer, and he was walking walking out of the arena, and Jason Tatum called him over so that he could take a picture of Yabu in his, in his dapper outfit, and then Terry Rozier, while he while Yabu was walking over to Tatum, was like, "Yo, you gotta wear that shit next game, bro." it was it was a wonderful sequence of events like everyone just just stunned to see yabu dress so well yabu yabu thought it was gonna be a podium game for him i think
2: (laughs) yabu dressed up nice for the playoffs normally he's just in the bucket hat casually but i like that um i got one more question is what is the are you one do you expect Jalen brown to return for game two because i do it seems like he was been lobbying to play ever since game seven and then what does his possible return do for the Celtics? Because I would imagine good things. Jalen Brown, pretty solid basketball player.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it just gives you more options. One, to defend the arc. Like, Jalen Brown is one of their most athletic guys, one of their best defenders. A guy who can chase Reddick and Bellinelli around screens. Or, if you need him to, switch on to Ben Simmons and be a physical presence on him. So... I think he's a big deal defensively. I think scoring-wise, he's a big deal. I think he's another guy that can give Redick and Bellinelli athletic problems. So I I think Jalen Brown in this series, in any series, is a big deal. But it feels like in this series especially, he's maybe an even bigger deal, even if it didn't feel like that in Game 1 when the Celtics were just blitzing the 76ers without him. Um, I don't know whether he will play. Hamstrings are tricky, man. I, and I know. I know he's been lobbying to play, but the Celtics want him to be cautious. It, obviously, the schedule worked out nicely, where they get two games, two days in between games, and give him an, an extra day to, to recover and, and get better. But I, I think they they want to make sure that he's he's able to to play without the potential of re injury when he gets back because hamstrings, man, those things can really really linger and you can you can just keep tweaking them and it never gets better so Brad Stevens has always always tried to be cautious with hamstrings so we'll see
2: yeah didn't Jalen didn't Jalen say that he's like trying to come back from like a what would normally be a two-week injury in two days like I I, I can imagine the Celtics being very cautious but um I just don't know I, I think they need him if the if the they're gonna eventually win this series which after even after game one the the 76ers are still, favored by uh the fine folks in las vegas to win the series and we never got an official prediction from your boy jay king the kid um so i was curious uh what you think is going to happen in this series and we saw you you have the uh the luck of having seen game one and you being able to take that into your prediction but so what's the official prediction both john and i uh said celtics and seven but that's that's just because we're both uh, huge homers you're an objective journalist so I want to hear your <laughs> prediction
1: so before the series I said sixers and six um, game one game one may have may have impacted the way I look at things um,
2: don't may have anything tell me definitively what your new prediction is is it still sixers and six
1: I'm not a huge prediction guy I'll, I'll stick with sixers and six I'll, I'll be I'll I'll pretend like I gave that before the series and I'll I'll stick with Sixers and Six.
2: So you think that the Sixers can come into Boston and take a a game in Boston. It felt like the the Sixers I don't know if they were shook with the moment or it was kind of the rest thing or all the things we were talking about but Joel Embiid was quite dismissive of the the Boston crowd and didn't think have any of impact but
1: I liked, um, I I like Joel Embiid's I like his spirit, man. Like he, he just
2: I like his candor too. He's always been quite honest.
1: Yeah, I respect I respect Joel Embiid. He he's just kinda he just kinda says things. He doesn't really care who who he upsets. He just kinda has the utmost confidence in himself and his team and he'll let people know that.
2: Here's another guy you love. I know for a fact. You just talk about um, listening to Brett Brown uh, before and after the game. I was sitting next to you during pregame availability, and there's just a big grin on your face listening to Brett Brown talk. You love that man.
1: I mean he he speaks he speaks in a way that makes me feel bad about my writing because he's like he speaks he he doesn't he
2: speaks in stories. They were, he was asked about Marcus Smart, and he's just like I've been like recruiting, watching Kansas film, going back. And we saw Oklahoma State, and then just like a perfect transition into talking about Mike Marcus Smart, the winner, and the like, basically impacts winning. And he's got the coolest accent I've ever heard. That like, it's half Maine, half Boston, half Australian, and it makes zero sense.
1: Yeah, and, and then everything he does, he just he speaks in a, like a poetic way, and he he just makes me feel really bad about my writing because he speaks better than I write, and.
2: I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he, he speaks in an absurd accent. I'm just trying to think of questions that I can get him to say fun words like arbitrary or just like things that really draw out the accent. Um, but uh, I'm usually too shy to ask anything, especially during the playoffs.
1: T- today he had a, a a great quote. Somebody asked him about Hor- Horford picking and pops and whether <laughs> whether they should bring a third guy to help defend, like a, like rotate someone over. And he he kind of like said – you know, you do you switch? Do you half switch? Do you late switch? Do you do you bring a third guy over? And he goes, "There's death in the back end of that." <laughs> 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 and it's like, it's like, a, I, I love this guy, man. There's death in the back end of that. Like just, just what, a, what a line that is. Just an unreal line. So Brett Brown, especially,
2: especially compared to Brad Stevens, who it feels like has gotten. Says less and less with each of his press conferences. He pulled out the classic Belichick and named every single player on the Raptors, even giving Timothy Luawu a shout out. But the, the comparison of their two press conferences was awesome because it was Stevens just being like uh, giving one word answers, and Brett Brown going on some some nice soliloquies.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Brett, ba- Brett Brown soliloquy guy. That, that man can speak. So shout out, <laughs> shout out to Brett Brown. Shout out, shout out to. Shout out to the difference between him and him and Joe Prunty, man. Joe Prunty was not a very great quote, but Brett, Brett Brown is is deeply quotable.
2: And that makes your that makes your life easier. It Makes my life easier in terms of rain and junk. So um, I'm all for it. The Sixer series, it just felt like Game One was like in the building was so much more intense than Game Seven of the Buck series. It's like maybe maybe like the Celtics fans think it's more legit now or more real, but it feels like the intensity has been raised, and especially with the not a rookie rookie chance with Simmons and Tatum. I don't know. It's the, I like the, the building, the budding rivalry. And it's, uh, it's kind of crazy that the, you can, the Sixers, you can see them getting a lot better next year. Cause they have the potential to add someone like LeBron. Uh, that's all the Sixers fans are talking about, but even if they don't, they can still have a bunch of cap space. They could go after someone like, uh, Clay Thompson or, uh, I don't know. People are talking about crazy Kawhi traits that I'm not really buying into yet.
1: Paul George would be would be such a perfect fit over there.
2: And so they have the potential to get that much better. And then the Celtics are returning Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. So you have to imagine that these two teams are going to play uh, each other in the playoffs for for years to come. So I'm liking the intensity of Game One, and I imagine it's. Just, I think it's going. It's just destined to go seven, and it's going to be a pretty intense matchup. I'm excited for the first Ben Simmons uh, Marcus Smart fight. I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm thinking somewhere around game three, uh, but they were getting a little testy at the end of the first half. At the end of the at the end of the game, Simmons gave him a little shove. Um, I'm just excited for this kind of the start of this rivalry. I
1: feel like Simmons gets into it with a lot of guys. He got into it. With- Simmons
2: is kind of mad online. Like he loves video games and he's frequently mad. So you put them together, he's mad online. Uh, and it's great. I'm I'm all for it. The Bucks didn't have enough emotion for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but this this series has it all. This series has emotion. This series has Aaron Baines three pointers. This series has Brett Brown soliloquies. It's just <laughs> just the the voice of an what angel. The voice of an angel. That guy. So. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we'll wrap it up there. <laughs> we are locked on Celtics Podcast. If you don't subscribe to us, search wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else. We're the only Monday through Friday Celtics Podcast, the greatest Celtics podcast ever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow again, like we always do, except when it's the weekend. Take care. I love you all.
2: <laughs> if you don't subscribe, you're stupid.
1: And I love you all.
0: Yeah, J. King and John Corrales, Locked On Celtics, Millie's.